You are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I chat with the brilliant singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist James Felice of the Felice Brothers, a wonderful American band from New York. The band consists of co-founders James and his brother Ian Felice, alongside Will Lawrence and Jessica Hume. In September this year, the band released their eighth studio album, so let's uncover the Felice Brothers' as brilliant From Dreams to Dust. Well, I'm super excited to have on LP Uncovered from the Felice Brothers, James Felice. Hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I am good. I good. Am good, good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, and I'm super excited to talk about From Dreams to Dust, your most recent album. Um, how's it been putting it out there? How's the response been? It's been really wonderful, actually. Uh, it seems like people really like it. You know, our fans, you know, it was just nice to actually be able to like, see the fans and interact with them for a few weeks when we were on tour uh, in person which is how I like to do it. Uh, yeah, everybody's single. I mean, I'm sure somebody hated it out there, but I haven't heard about that guy yet. Though you don't want to hear that, that kind of stuff, and I'm very much in awe of all four of you as musicians, and particularly yourself and your brother Ian, and the lyrics that are in this album, and all your other albums, but in particular this album, are just amazing. And I know with the album, you've co-wrote it together, and this is your eighth album, and probably a question you've heard lots, but how is it to co-write an album well, how does it go about? Do you both kind of put forward your own material? Do you work together on specific songs? We generally put forward our own material. I'd say Ian is, de- I mean, de- Ian is definitely the principal songwriter. Um, I am more like the, I, I add some songs myself and I'm sort of like help arrange and, and stuff like that. Lyrically, he does most of the heavy lifting. Well, I'll talk specifically about the songs themselves and which songs you necessarily co-wrote or wrote together or wrote on your own. Um, and the album itself, I'm writing thinking you recorded the album in the like 1800 church on your brother's property. At what point did you make the decision to record there? That was sort of the dream. The church was actually always on his property. He didn't own the church. It was like a, a tiny congregation. I think it was like three or four people that went there older women so the church was like sort of part of the community it was basically his front lawn but the town owned the church um but at a certain point they like couldn't take care of it anymore so they they sold it to my brother you know with the understanding that he would maintain it and take care of it and that process took a long time because it was like a historical building blah 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 and it needed like a lot of work so the dream was always record there eventually and we finally got to that point uh summer of 2020 and how was it recording in the church it was amazing it was um you know it's a big square room it doesn't have the vaulted ceilings that you would associate with <clears throat> most bigger churches it has like a has a flat ceiling which is a just kind of an issue you know it's, it was built supposedly it was built by one person like by themselves wow. in the 50s it's like a simple sort of methodist style church so white like not not ornate at all just beautiful simple but anyway it felt so good being in there the way the light comes in is incredible. And the way it sounds got better and better because we actually started treating it. We got some acoustical blankets to hang on the wall. Nice. Yeah, it was really important to sort of tame the sound of the church. Otherwise, it would just 
sound like, you know, singing in a giant bathroom, I think. <laughs> uh, um, I'm really happy with how that room sounds. I really am. And that kind of links to the artwork. I'm always really intrigued by cover artwork and the album cover itself is the all on canvas painting, which was actually painted 13 years before the church was built, supposedly. This is me trying to do some like uh, facts on it. But um, who discovered the painting? Did you go looking for it or did it? Was it something that, that you stumbled Ian, upon? Ian discovered that painting. Um, he's the artist of the family. And, you know, as far as when it comes to like the visual, like the actual album covers, he's yeah. like, uh, he's unequivocally in charge. He has that eye. He's a painter himself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, He's painted uh, several of our record covers and other bands record covers as well. So he just chose it out of the blue one day. And he was like, this is going to be the cover. I looked at it. I was like, okay, this is great. Yeah. And I was, I'm an idiot. So I was like, did you paint it? <laughs> Well, I was looking at some like the artwork that Ian does, and it's kind of like a, a similar style. Yeah, that's what I said. He said no. <laughs> I didn't paint it. Yeah. Um, it's an anonymous painting. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think we know who painted it. No. From the facts that I've tried to get on this background for this painting, I haven't found out who the painter is. But I've got well, all, the other, all the other facts. And you kind of obviously mentioned re- recording in the church. How many days was it that you were in the church recording the whole album, either the two of you or the four of you? That's a good question. Uh, about a month, I think, maybe a little more. Um, yeah, the first most like the first two thirds of the time was just me and Ian. You know, we kind of COVID bubble situation. Yeah. Um, this is this is back in the pre-vaccine days. Yes, yeah, so it was just me and him in there. And then eventually we got the other two members of the band tested and safe. And then they came in for, they were only there for like four days, actually. And we did wow. we cut half the songs in those four days or even more than half the songs. Um, and then there was like another period of sort of like overdubs and, and like mixing, rough mixing that I was doing that took another like week or two and just, you know, tying up loose ends, singing certain harmonies and getting like the vocals feeling yeah. good. Was it nice, I suppose, that not having to have a time pressure so much when it's your own recording studio? Yeah, it is nice. It's it's good and bad, of course. Obviously, deadlines are important, uh, especially for me, because I can like, like let things just go on and on forever and ever. So it was <laughs> nice to sort of just be able to like explore music and songs for a couple weeks there with no pressure. And then when the band came, I was like, oh, we got to get it done in this X number of days because people have lives and stuff so that was actually like a good little pressurized capsule in the center that yielded great results well going through the album track by track obviously you start off with the brilliant jazz on the autobahn what made you start off with that song that song just felt like it had the perfect energy we're not like the <laughs> the best sequencers in the game actually we did not sequence this record <laughs> what was it you didn't put it you didn't put it together yourselves we <laughs> We outsourced it to our friend Connor Oberst, actually. Yeah, yeah, He's like, <laughs> it's kind of, I think he did our last one, too. It's sort of a running joke that like he okay. has like a record sequencing uh, business. And um, so we <laughs> hired him for that. <laughs> um, so I was with him when he did it, but he, he actually mostly put the sequence of the record together. I think starting the record with jazz and the autobahn was kind of a no-brainer. I think we all just sort of like, yeah, of course. That one, the way it comes in is great. It has good energy. It's, it's, it actually mm-hmm. sort of sets the table. It's kind of weird. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
you don't like this one, you're probably not going to like a lot of the rest of them. So maybe just give up now. Um, and it's just fun song. And I yeah. think we kind of, yeah, felt like it was probably going to be like the single or whatever, the one that people would hear the most. And we just figured, why, why, why not just, let's just go, give it to them. And it was great to see Nate Walcott on the horns in that song. Yes. That also really adds the element. Was that kind of, yeah, what, why in particular? I know that song and the last song. He was, was it the last song or the Land of Yesterdays that he's on? Land of Yesterdays. Land of Yesterdays, sorry. That was also, he should have a co-producing credit. That was Connor's idea too. When we were like, he was like listening to like the mixes. We really, you know, we just like send him stuff because of so much respect for his musical Mm -hmm. tape. And he was like, oh man, this song would sound great with some trumpet. And we were like, yeah, of course. Hell yeah, would, uh, you know, any trumpet players. And he was like, Nate has free time. And, you know, Nate is like, I think he's one of the best musicians in the world. Right. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. Um, he's just so good at everything he does. Figured he was busy. He's doing like music for TV. He's like in the Red Hot Chili Peppers now. He's like, wow. Incredible. But he took the time and played, he played the trumpet on that song. This is like, you know, uh, remote and it's funny. Like we never really did remote recording and stuff like that, but he, yeah, he did it at his home. It just sounds so good. And he said, he told me like, this is one of my favorite things i've ever put uh on tape wow. and i felt so proud about that and he came he came to our show and we played in la and he stayed for the whole show and hung out afterwards and oh, i love that guy he's just hilarious sweet. amazing yeah. did he perform once you in la or did he just watch the show didn't he just watched the show he hadn't been playing trumpet a lot over the last few weeks and for trumpet you gotta just like stay up on your chops or else you lose like yeah yeah all the muscle yeah that's what he said anyway maybe he <laughs> forgot it or something. yeah yeah so that's all right he gets to sit and enjoy a drink and then watch you guys yeah. do the hard graft the sheriff disappeared he drove in a doomed corvette helen was in the passenger seat eating melon and spitting out the seeds feeling happy to be alone but still turning a saxophone as cold as stone kind of Going into track number two, to-do list, which I think the whole concept's brilliant, taking what some are mundane tasks and some not so mundane tasks and, and putting it into the song and the drums straight in and Ian's guitar and everything on it. But um, why did the song come about? I know it might not have been you wrote it, but do you remember the point in which you first heard the lyrics? Oh, yeah, I do. I do remember the, when I first heard like what was wound up being like the song, actually. But yeah, the, 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 the demo that Ian recorded... Uh, I loved it. I loved that it was, I never really heard a song like that before. The concept was so fun, mm-hmm. and funny, and it was also beautiful um, and had a good energy to it. And this was one that we recorded with the band live in the room. I think, <laughs> I think we played it once and then recorded it. And that's the take. So I think we, I think wow. the band total two times and you could feel it. You know, I mean, it's a simple song. It's got like two chords and it's not going anywhere crazy, but uh, it was just so fun to have that sort of churning energy. And like, you can always tell like the band has kind of like not exactly sure how many verses are going to be in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. I, I particularly like the buy head cheese and hock of ham become a family man. It kind of sums up the song. There's like humor elements to it, but then also some real like serious and like you said, hilarious, but beautiful. And I think that kind of actually sums up a lot of the yeah. album. And Ian um, is a family man. You know, he has, 
a, a son and a wife. And like, you know, he spent, we spent so much of our lives on the road being, you know, whatever we were just like in a rock band and, and carrying on. And now I think he's sort of figuring out how to combine that, like the being an artist and being a songwriter, being a touring musician, and also being a good father and a good husband yeah. for your family. And, you know, yeah. I'm finding time to buy cheese and ham, of course. Right. And, you know, you, you first you set up a subscription to Better Homes and Gardens and then you really <laughs> have to cancel it because you do not <laughs> want to be that in your mailbox. <laughs> And uh, going on to track number three, All the Way Down, am I writing and thinking that you wrote this song? I did write that song, yeah. Nice. Beautiful yeah. song. And um, Mike Mogus is on it with a marxophone. I hope That's... I pronounced that right. Is that right? I think you did. I'm actually not 100% sure. <laughs> I was talking out. Thank you for. I was talking to someone the other day about that song and that instrument. I totally forgot what it was called. My, well, and... I'm not surprised. I've never heard of it before, to be honest. It's a strange little instrument. It sounds so cool. Kind of like a combination of like an auto harp and like a pedal steel or lap steel. Yeah. So he's playing marxophone and like he also mixed that record, you know, so he took that and made it sound really good, which gave it a really interesting otherworldly sound, which is what I wanted for that track. I wanted mm. it to be a little strange and mysterious and sort of take place in a part of your mind that you don't necessarily go to very often. Did you necessarily approach him about putting that instrument in or did you say he kind of approached you and was just like, I think this would sound really cool on it? I think it was it was that. It was also definitely Connor, you know, doing his executive producer job. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, he helped us, you know, Mike Mogus, obviously, in Bright Eyes. So him and Connor and Nate are very close and Mike mm -hmm. mixed. And so it was like sort of like a collaborative effort at that point. You know, the record was done, but there was mixing to happen and... I was out in LA hang, was staying with Connor for a couple of weeks while the record was being mixed. And so we would listen to it. This is a great thing about Connor. Like every night he would listen to the record and like think about the mixes and the, and just really enjoy the music in a way that was, it's not really the way Ian and I operate. Like Ian's never heard this record. Really? <laughs> never, I mean, he's heard it. He probably, I mean, yeah, no, I probably probably has never heard the mastered record. I would be pretty wow. surprised if he ever listened to any of our records. Like once he puts the song down, he's done in a lot wow. of ways. I mean, he has notes and, he, you know, he can get interested. You know, he, he definitely listens to the mixes and like has some notes, but he sort of he's on to the next thing. Um, and so it's sort of like my job to stay with the stay with the roots, <laughs> make sure the thing like actually, you know. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. Do you ever refer back to your old music when you're writing new stuff do you ever yeah draw parallels or anything like that would you tend to very much clean slate new album and, and not reference back to your old stuff yeah almost never the only time i'll ever listen to like an old song is to remember how it goes <laughs> yeah like, if you're playing it live play so. live and usually i go to like chord uh whatever it is like the, the internet like google the song on the internet and someone has the chords yeah um, lyrics there but every once in a while i will listen to one of our old songs uh yeah i probably five or six times in the last 15 years there's nothing but starlight
Going on to track number four, Money Talks, which has a very distinct introduction with a distorted voice. Uh, how did the process of putting in the whole production of that song work? Yeah, the first part, that was a, the, that low voice, that, uh, the pitch down voice was something that Ian had sort of in a demo form, just like over, I can't remember what it was over, just like a, like a sustained um, chord that was mm-hmm. had on one of, one of the keyboards at his house. Um, I love that so much. The, that, the interview is what we sort of called it. Which yeah. It. Uh, I thought it was so creepy and cool and weird. And there's something like I've never heard something like that before that perspective. <laughs> um, and then the music over it is something that I wrote sort of inspired by it. Just listening to that vocal and playing over it. And so we just sort of combined those two things. And that was the beginning of the song. And uh, I really love how that came out. It's so creepy. I have actually watched some clips of it being performed online. You can see people like it kind of just like taken aback. Obviously, they know that's they've listened to the song. They know it's going to happen. But because I when I saw the clip, Ian was obviously doing it into the microphone and then do distort it on stage. Yeah, we have a I little. Uh, yeah, we have a vocal. Uh, what the hell is that thing called? I can't remember the names or anything right now. It's been, I've been yes. off the road for a couple of weeks. So <laughs> it's all right. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. It, it, it downshifts his voice. Effects, vocal effects pedals was called mm-hmm. and it's the only time it's used on the whole show and and it's like probably like the only time i've ever used anything like that on stage so the audience is like what in the hell <laughs> it's a cool effect though it really draws really me. cool it's one of my favorite combinations which is really funny but also kind of makes you feel uncomfortable and it's just beautiful in its display of something that feels so true about being a human being especially if you've ever been in a job interview <laughs> Or ever had to yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's so true, actually. You can like really relate to it. But then whilst you're listening, you're like relatable, but also like creeped out a bit. Yeah, and it's also, you know, saying like, crazy things about urinals being portals to another Yes. <laughs> Supernatural vibe to it. Yeah, that that's so It reminded me of like a... You ever read George Saunders? No, I haven't. Yeah. He's... I don't know why. He writes... He's an American writer. He's definitely my favorite author. He he mostly what it does like right short stories and they're kind of like kind of science fiction but mm-hmm. I, I call them like corporate it's like midwestern corporate sci-fi dystopias they're always very funny and very strange and weird and i don't know something about that part of that song and his work mm. know, speaks to each other in some way And it's like really, I'd say, very unique. You don't often hear that in a song and quite pioneering. And I think that does link really well with Be At Rest, which is just like a spoken funeral eulogy. How were you when you first heard the lyrics for that one? That was the one I heard. He sent me a demo of that. And I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm. Uh, and half of it was because I never heard anything like that before, a song from yeah. you know, that perspective a man eulogizing himself yeah it was so heartbreaking it was so perfectly crafted to elicit these different wonderful emotions every verse was compelling and 
visually like it, the images conjured in my head as like, oh this is it this is like one of the best songs you've ever written i told him that which i think puts it pretty high up there for one of the best songs ever written yeah. um and then it was just a matter of like making it sound right because the demo i don't remember what the how the demo went but I, this was a one that i really wanted to make sure felt right and there's like this temptation to go like really churchy with it which i didn't necessarily want to do but i wanted to have that element mm. um I gentle i wanted the music to just sit there and help sort of bring the story up but without being distractingly putting you in a certain space i don't know know and that yeah and the use of the organ i think very much brings that into play yeah the organ bring the organ at the beginning having kind of be spacey um the background vocals it was yeah it was a lot of work to get that song feeling right to be able to pull it off because it's not there's no real roadmap for a song like that, you know? Yeah, that's so A lot true. of the songs we have, it's just, you know, folk rock, you know, the lyrics are great or the melody, like, you can be exemplary in different ways, but you, like, know exactly how the song is going to go. First chorus, first chorus, get out of there. Yeah. Um, and, like, the dynamic trajectory is pretty much there. Uh, for a song like this, it was not like that. So it was really important to figure it out. How was it recording it in the church? That must have felt even more well appropriate but also added like another whole element to the song i guess yeah and it was the we spent most of our money on a piano uh we never really had a real piano before um we borrowed uprights they're always in bad shape um this is our first time having like a proper this is a, we bought a beautiful kawaii like baby grand piano so it was my first time ever recording a piano like that first time ever really playing one so that for me felt really special um yeah. So yeah, I wanted to get that through in the song. And it ends obviously with the words from dreams to dust. Did that inspire to call the album after that? Was it that the, the song came first and then that's what then led to the title of the album? Yeah, that's exactly what I heard. That's the demo. And I heard him say that line. I was like, Oh, that's what we should call the album. And he's like, yeah. okay, so that was just like that, that, that was done. We figured it out. Like before we even start recording, you know, you didn't have to agonize over it. No, it was just, we got it. Mr. Felice, six foot tall, 148 pounds, soft teeth, sleep deprived, below average student. And uh, track number six, Valium, which starts off with the piano, then the guitar and drums, and again, Mike Mogus on the pedal still. And um, I noticed it was the only song on the album which you faded out. Was that a purposeful fade out? That's right. We faded. Yeah, it was actually. We, me and Ian recorded it first, like with the drum machine, because we didn't have the band. And um, I spent so long. I'm not good at that stuff. So I spent so long, like, making the beat and, like, building this track. And then when the band came in, I was like, oh, no, we got this one. We don't need to record it, but let's just do it just because why not? We have like some extra time. Band played like twice. It was a thousand times better than what I did. Uh, <laughs> why did I spend so much time? That happened with uh, Money Talks too. I spent like days like building a track and uh, the band came in and just knocked it, knocked it over. And, that was, yeah. that, and then we just, we ha- I think we were just having so much fun playing it that we just kept going. And it's just fun. You know, we call it, we sometimes you say a song craves the fade. And we were like, this song craves the fade. Ah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a lot of the songs on the album, the spoken element to to the way that you both perform it. And I think that also really illuminates 
the writing and that's kind of very like we were talking about with be at rest um that that's on another way in which your lyrics come across so beautifully i think because you can hear them so clearly and that might sound like such an obvious thing but sometimes lyrics kind of get washed away when you can't really hear the lyrics that's a really good point i actually hadn't really thought about that because i always know the lyrics because obviously i hear the song like 300 times and i hear it at different levels and i pay very close attention to the lyrics but yeah you're right that they can be washed away uh in many different ways but if, if it's just you know, just saying them to you loud in the mm. mix then you're <laughs> definitely going to pick them up and i think it just conveys like a really cool style or just like a i i love this spoken word stuff that he's doing i like i know i've never been like a spoken word guy, <laughs> but yeah. and i've always thought it was kind of corny i guess is, is the right word or something there's you know like yeah you know you go to like a coffee shop and there's like spoken word poetry night or, <laughs> yeah. or, and you're just like, oh God. Um, <laughs> but he really, he really pulls it off in a way that mm-hmm. works so well, and it doesn't feel like a coffee shop vibe. Oh, a hundred percent, yeah. And the fact that your music complements that, like you say, you're always trying to build the music around the lyrics and make sure it doesn't overwash the lyrics. Yeah, just to support. I think Ian writes songs as sort of the main point of these songs are the lyrics, the stories, the, the emotions that are evoked are generally through the lyrics and the music is part of the conveyance, obviously, but it's, it's not his main focus. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the main focus of the band. You know, we love to play. I think we're good players and I love music, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, for this, for this, for this band, like it's about, Ian singing and what he's trying to say and I think that's just our main priority well, I'm at a motel on the border of Utah and Colorado there's an old John Wayne movie on I think it's and that links really well with number seven, Inferno. And that was the first song you dropped off the album, right? Yep. That was the first song we dropped off the album. That song, I'm trying to remember. Yes. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, Ian actually, that guitar part, Ian recorded that. And I always make fun of Ian because I <laughs> need to say the same thing. You know, he sucks at recording music like he'll at home making demos everything i think everything was just but he recorded for some reason i don't know how he did it but he recorded that guitar part it sounded so good it was so well played um that we couldn't beat it and i tried this was another song i spent a long time like building in different ways and then he would listen to it and be like "Eh, it's not as good as that guitar part i played on the demo so eventually we just said okay let's just use the demo guitar part and then we sort of built around that what made you drop that song first? That was like a collaborate, uh, the idea, you know, for the label, that was like sort of, I think that was one of their ideas. It, it seemed like we didn't want to drop like, um, I guess how it works now days is you, without renouncing the record, you drop a song from the record just to let people know you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> just to sort of like churn something. Um, but you don't want to, you don't have like the whole focus of like the album campaign necessarily. So I think when we dropped jazz, yeah. we also announced the record that day. And it was like this whole thing where you like work with like 
this is, this is inside baseball stuff, I guess. I don't know if anybody cares, but you like, there's a publicist and a label and they're all working together to like get as much basically traction as you can. Yeah, so, you know, the website, whatever consequence of sound or whoever picks it up and does like a little story about it. And then it's also on Spotify and people are supposed to retweet it or whatever. Anyway. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Inferno was just sort of like a song. It was strange. It was interesting, but it wasn't like the, didn't want to waste like in a, I guess like one of the more rocking songs. And Ian's spoken about how the song is about like persistence of certain mundane memories and how they take on a, a different meaning and significance. And I also think that does link quite well with, to-do list as well how there's some of these songs about things you won't necessarily talk about or hear in songs but he kind of brings as a group he brings significance to to a quite mundane absolutely things. and that's a i think a beautiful and important aspect of songwriting poetry just you know art is just i mean most of it you know i, I don't remember who said it but it's like how you spend your days is of course how you spend your life mm. um and mostly in films and books you know drama we read about like the biggest events of people's lives wherever those huge moments are but of course if you're lucky and i'm lucky the traumatic things the big moments there's you know two or three of those hopefully in a lifetime yeah and the rest of it is filled with you know, yeah going to see john claude van Damme movie <laughs> yeah friends yeah. and how important and how dear it is to keep those memories and how lucky we are to have random dumb things in our minds that we can, that just stick with us. It's cool. That's so true actually. And some music kind of like fantasizes and, and things like that. Whereas this album seems to very much place like reality. It's a fine line, isn't it? It's definitely a fine line. And I think there's a tendency in all music, but you know, this is something that we kind of went through when we first started as a band songs or early songs was kind of like this i think they were done well but like songs like even like frankie's gun and stuff sort of like a mm -hmm. mythologizing violence and this is like this american american folk tradition of shooting people and guns and the excitement of that and, and, yeah. and getting drunk and, and this is like also a youthful thing you know when you're young when you're 18 and you're writing songs there's there's like a there's some sort of energy in that. There's something fascinating about that. Uh, as you get older, you realize that's not good. Um, there's more interesting things to talk about. Um, yeah. We've sort of like definitely gone a long way from the, uh, the action, <laughs> the action genre. Who's that riding on the banks of the Rio Grande? Jean-Claude Van Track number eight, Silverfish. Did you co-write? Did you write that one? I wrote that one. Nice. Yeah, and I wrote that. You said that the song came out better than you thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, but partially because, mostly probably because of the band. Um, mostly because I, I just, I didn't know what, the hell I was doing with it I mm. there's something I, weird thing about me is I, I I photograph insects as like a hobby I guess yeah that's um, linked to the video right right yeah yeah yeah. exactly so there's, that's all this stuff I've been bugs I found and and it gives me a strange perspective it's given me a perspective uh I feel like I'm really grateful for it. sort of just I don't know something about 
nature, when you, when you spend a lot of time thinking about nature and the interactions of natural, of uh, the creatures of the world and plants and the, the dramas of a small world, how incredibly, insanely cruel it seems to be, how sort of antithetical to our moral intuitions nature mm. actually is. I don't know if this makes sense, but yeah, what I was thinking about in the song, like that everything's killing everything all the time, eating everything at this very moment. There's billions of animals being eaten, plants, everything. I don't know. There's, there's a humongous toll on conscious c- creatures. I don't know if plants are conscious or not, but, um, mm. and it, it, it sort of extends all the way up to, to being a human in a way. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's sort of yeah. what I was thinking. I was trying to write this song. And it doesn't, I mean, I picked out the lyric in particular that some guy from Leeds and my girlfriend's memes. At one point, I thought that meant England got a shout out, but is this a Leeds in America? Well, there is a Leeds here nearby, um, but it's also a shout out to one of my favorite cities in the UK. Although last time we were there, yeah. we did get, get we broke into our van and oh stole no. It. Besides that, it's a good town. Oh no, we were, eating, we were somewhere eating crumpets. We were, we oh, were, lovely. We went to get crumpet. A crumpet, that's a great shout. Come to England and have a crumpet. Crumpets all the time over there. A bit off topic, but on my mum's birth certificate, it says that her dad's dad, his occupation is a crumpet maker. No kidding. Is that what it's called? Like a crumpet maker? Well, I don't think people necessarily have that on their like Instagram pages now saying they're crumpet makers. But um, (laughs) that was just there from up north actually around the northern part of england it's yeah yeah a bit of a tradition so i don't think on many birth certificates now you get a crumpet makers well the people that made these crumpets that we were enjoying as we were being robbed uh were so good <laughs> i don't know if they're quite worth it but priorities yeah oh no well that's annoying about leeds but i'm sorry to have brought it up then but at least we got a bit of crumpet chat out of it some guy from leeds sends my girlfriend memes one arrived as I was writing this line A red-tailed hawk ate my neighbor's dog He just carried her away I gotta do On track number nine, Celebrity X, which, like all of the songs, I find they, they can easily, without the music, just read them as a poem. And this song in particular is lyrically, like, jam-packed, of course. How did you go about adding the musicality around the lyrics. This is one where Ian wanted it very simple and straightforward. It has that, you know, that big turn, right? There's like A part and the B part. Um, and the A part's like this sort of, has like this feel of like a 50s Hollywood film. Something, not saccharine about it, but it just always feels to me like you're standing on a balcony at some 1950s Hollywood party, like a Shangri-La or something. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a music in the background and you just like watching the people mill around in the gardens. I don't know that that's like always what I picture when I hear like the A part of that song. And then the B part is just like, just rock, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's all about the lyrics and the, and the, and the silly, funny stuff that Ian's saying and just like sort of the brilliant, you know, yeah. of the celebrities and, Obviously, he's talking about the vapidity of celebrity culture in general. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of like a fun, good time in a, in a very weird way, I'd say. Yeah. Well, how has it been performing that song live? 
it's been good. Ian sometimes he gets like tired of it. Like, yeah, like, I write like such a long song. That's oh, so celebrity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think like, sometimes we don't play because he doesn't feel like it, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I totally understand. Um, I, I notice there isn't a celebrity Q or S. Is that purposeful or is that just, I mean, I'm hoping I've got that right. I, ha- I did read it through thoroughly, but. I bet you did. You, you know more about these songs. Than I mean, I I'm uh, not sure. That's a scandal. We should go after him. He's yeah, you, have to, to you have to keep me posted on X and S. But... My favorite letters? <laughs> no, no celebrity X? S. Uh, S or... Q, 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 Q. Q. X is quite vital. Obviously. That's yeah. No. And there's no S. Q and S. That's what I thought. Huh. But. You know what? I'm going to talk to him about that. I'm going to confront me... him. You have, you, you have a chat about the Q&A. He's there right now. I'm sure he's like hanging out with his son. Like, Ian, get down here right now. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. You put this song out there. There's 26 letters this alphabet. I didn't know. If, anyway, I thought it could be, uh, you know, on purpose. It probably is. It probably is. But Or I might have got it completely wrong. So. Well, there's a lot of possibilities there. Um, I'll wait and see. Hopefully for the audience, it doesn't diminish your enjoyment of the song too much. Not at all. No. Uh, Please don't send any hate mail our no. way. Especially <laughs> Q&S fans out there. I know you're out there. No. <laughs> On the night that celebrity X confesses her love for celebrity Z by the dark brooding sea in a velvet armchair she sits from the terrace. On to number 10 and Alanda Yesterday's, which... I think it's uh, again all your songs are very led, but it's very much the intro, and then at some point you think it's the song fading off, and then it comes in with the you can never return and turn back, turn back, and I love the harmonies on that one as well. Uh, how was it producing that song with all the different layers? That was a real production for us. That was like, you know, that was crazy. That took a long time. Um, yeah. yeah, every every part of the song was sort of done separately and then blended together it was always meant to be that way always meant to be sort of like a sort of a weird journey through some some dreams and and um strange memories and stuff like that so it was never really supposed to be like a a to b to c sort of Mm. song in that sense um yeah the intro and and all that stuff that's just stuff i did sitting by myself trying to get a feeling across that we're in a mysterious place in, in our memories here. Um, and yeah, the end was like a huge thing with like yeah. stacks and stacks of vocals. And we don't usually do stuff like that. I had a really good time putting that together. Yeah, I bet. Uh, but it was, it was really <laughs> worth it. Uh, I thought, I thought, yeah, I think it has like this big emotional cathartic payoff. And I, I love music that goes there. And sometimes mm-hmm. our stuff, like I said, it can be like linear or first chorus, first chorus, see you later. Uh, this this one had a fun. It was a fun journey to go on. I think. The penultimate song, "Blow Him Apart." Uh, did you write this one? I did write that one. I, I love the piano on it. Oh, what does the, does the lyrics come first and then the melody? This one, I wrote this song. I remember this, actually. I, I broke my wrist, my left wrist. Uh, I fell off my bicycle it was last, last summer. It hurt. 
And I was, I was down and out for like a couple of weeks. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't play. Um, so I just, I don't remember how exactly I did it, but I was able to play what sort of became that song very slowly. And I was definitely on painkillers and I was just, I remember like when I listened to the debt, like what I had recorded, it was so slow and bizarre, but there was something there, which I thought was yeah. kind of fun and um, just crafted it from that. And then eventually I got the cast off and I could play it better. But yeah, I love, I like that song. I like playing it. It feels good to play. It's silly, but I think it has a certain, I don't know, something beautiful about it. I feel mm. like. And how was it when, with all your music that you put forward, when do you remember in particular Ian's reaction when you put forward that song? Yeah, I sent, we can like send each other demos, especially yeah. after COVID, we weren't really like hanging out very much. Um, so he would send me, you know, he sent me probably 30 songs and I sent him probably 10 or 12, which yeah. is about the ratio of <laughs> our output. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's very sparing with the compliments. Um, he just was very honest. Just, but uh, yeah, he liked that one. Amazing. I like that song. I was like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. That's if that's thank you. Rightly so, it's a beautiful song. I send money to missionaries. My rent situation's officially scary. I smoke cigarettes. By my Obviously, the last song on the album, We Shall Live Again, which is the longest song on the album, eight minutes. And just uh, it's eight minutes, but it's amazing how when you're listening to it, it's, it doesn't feel like eight minutes. Not that you're expecting an eight minute song to, to drag on or anything like that. But what made you put that song last? Or is that not the best question seeing as we talked about? <laughs> no, that was, that was <laughs> obvious from the beginning that that okay. was going to be the last song for sure. Just because of the length of it, mm. the import of it, and just, I don't know, it just all, it all felt it just, it was like, that's the last song, obviously. Um, mm. You can't really follow that song with anything. Didn't seem right. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, you know, it's sort of the, the thesis of the record in a way, and just a beautiful sentiment. And um, it just, yeah, it, it just felt right. It felt like the way to culminate the record. Beautiful. I mean, you know, that was another one. He sent it to me. I think it was way long. I think he said he wrote 14. It was like 15 minutes long when he finished it. So he cut half the verses um, at least. And it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And it, I don't know how he does it. And it's a mystery to me. And it's something that I'm like constantly awed by and trying to rip off whenever I can. It's just <laughs> this incredible way of blending like the surreal and the profoundly moving. And like the imagery is like so like essentially American in a way that's, mm. I don't know, it just really captures something so true about what it means to be a human being, American, what it means to be me. Yeah. Uh, every time. <laughs> and it's just so good. And that was another one. I was like, how do you build it? How do you make it work as a song? Keep it from being boring, but not get too overblown with the thing. Because yeah. a song like that is so inspiring. Like You want to like get an orchestra on, like the <laughs> section, choir, angels. Like it's so incredible, but. No, There's a, I mean, there are a lot of instruments. Do you play the accordion on that one? Yeah, accordion, piano, organ. This is one that we recorded, meaning recorded by basically by ourselves. Eventually, we got Will in there to drop a beat on it. And mm. uh, Jess played bass on it too. But the song, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get them. So the song 
was sort of built in the church. Is this the most quoted line that you get from the album from Francis of Assisi to the fans of ACDC? It must be the most quoted. Definitely. Yeah, I believe it is. It's a great line. Rightly so. It yeah. deserves <laughs> to be quoted in every interview. We shall live again. Oh, our religion's the same as the pigeons From Francis of Assisi To the fans of ACDC We all shall Well, to finish with this, some like, quick-fire questions and a little random game, actually, but some... A quick file questions, really. Which song would you say came together the quickest and which took the longest? The quickest, actually, I think was probably jazz on the autobahn or to-do list. And those were, I think, jazz because we had, I was sort of dreading it because I knew it was an important song. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this one because it's so weird. Uh, and then, of course, the, the whole band sits down, just starts playing it. I was like, oh, this sounds great. Um, it took me a long time to figure out, like, my place in the song, like, with the piano and stuff and that's personal um but yeah it just sort of fell together really easily and the one that took the longest a lot of them took a long time i feel like (laughs) (laughs) probably um land of yesterdays or Mm -hmm. money talks because there was like a couple of different versions of money talks and just yeah i'd say money talks probably took the longest making that song feel right and different versions that we did of it uh, someday I'll release the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the track version that I did. <laughs> Do you have a favorite song off the album? Yeah, I think I think "Be at Rest" is my favorite song off the record. I really do. I think that's a special song. I yeah. think there's just something there, um, just in terms of like I said, like this is such a unique idea for a song, and it's such a beautiful, vulnerable song yeah. in a lot of ways. Where Ian's not like a like necessarily like a very vulnerable personal songwriter um but you really get in there with that one and uh just makes me sad what's been your favorite song performing live so far most of them are surprisingly fun to play jazz is a blast to play i love playing um silverfish live Mm. that one across really well even uh we shall live again which could be a slog depending on how we do it i feel like and really comes together on that and we've yeah, the, the the audience were so psyched to I bet. hear any of the songs. Yeah, the of course. We would play like the new record first, and then we'd play some old ones. But they were so into it, which was so cool because mm. we made a lot of records. In this case, it seemed like people were really locked in. I bet. And uh, do you have a favorite lyric of the album? Quite tricky. Mm. <laughs> There's so many good lyrics you know in we shall live again i mean there's a lot but you know in this life every joyful thing uh is paid twofold and suffering seemed like Mm. a really profoundly true and beautiful sad well-written moment uh but yeah you know all lyrics are good they are yeah can't be denied exactly good stuff and uh, so to finish with, I do um, a little game. It's called What's the Occasion? And I give you three occasions and you've got to pick three different songs off the album that if it was to be played on that occasion, you'd pick. So okay. we've got a wedding, a dinner party and a car road trip. A wedding, a dinner party and a car road trip. Yes. Okay. So for the wedding, 
know, it's funny. My friend Maddie uh, is getting married. And she said, she told me that she thought Blown Apart would be a good first dance song. And I said, I, I mean, the it's kind of like, I, I don't know. And I, I, I never thought about it before. I was like, oh, that actually could baby work. It's maybe a little bit. Yeah. Lyrics, you know, it's definitely about somebody ruining somebody else's life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but love is all about, man, opening yourself up to the possibility. Uh, yeah. So I would say that song would be a good wedding song. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So we've got um, blow him apart for wedding. Yeah, what's the next one? Dinner party. Uh, dinner party. Dinner party. I can't know if I've ever been to a dinner party. What do people play? I feel like people play like jazz at a dinner party. Yeah, or like something that would get people talking that you think might be good icebreaker. If a uh, good icebreaker song. I'm picturing just like a couple of friends. It's nothing too manic. Get the vinyl player on. Right. Right. <laughs> like that's well, the that- kind of dinner party. Mine are very very calm dinner parties all right i like this so you got the you got the record player and yeah. then you got the record and the record is it's one two three it's three it's three sides right yeah 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 so the first song so you're gonna drop the needle you're not gonna pay attention you're gonna either drop it on the first song on the first yeah. side yeah it's the first song on the second side which is money talks i think uh that definitely don't play that at a dinner party the- <laughs> first song on the third side I think it's Valium. I guess Valium, you know, because the music itself is not maybe as obtrusive, intrusive as some yeah. of the other songs. And um, people can start, you know, there's just fun references in there to your favorite, you know, yeah. that Maryland, you know, in American landscape. So, yeah, that one. Good choice. And the last one. So, we've got a car road trip. You're off. We're going to say you're off, I don't know, on a nice little weekend with your friends. Driving up the mountains, the countryside. I've set the scene now. I think jazz is a great driving song. Yes. For sure. Obviously, it's jazz on the Autobahn. I think that one rocks. That's like that one gets you pumped up. And if you want to like have like a chill, like, you know, you're in the passenger seat and your hands out the window. Yeah. Like sing stuff. along moments. Sing along moments. Yeah, that one. Or, geez, I don't know. We need more like a Tom Petty style. Like, <laughs> driving down this road songs don't have enough of those we need some more of those well thank you so much we've definitely uncovered from dreams to dust and uh good luck with everything you're coming to the uk aren't you next year we are we are very exciting yeah fingers crossed i mean i've learned not to try and like ask too many future questions now in interviews because i think most artists are like i just have to keep on changing dates yeah we're still here we'll be there for sure Um, well, thank you so much, James. I really appreciate your time. I love the album. I love all your past projects and I'm super excited for what you've got going on in the future. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for like, you know, knowing what you're talking about and like love, like obviously enjoying music and it's really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. No, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye.